0: following sermon audio is from love city church cincinnati more audio and information about love city church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org so this week we are continuing in our series called curious um and before I tell you the, the question I'm answering, let me, let me explain what happened a little bit. So when I teach, I like weeks and weeks of a heads up. That did not happen. Because uh, I, I, I can't help myself. When, when I'm going to teach, I want to like, study everything, read the verses a bunch. I want to look at every commentary I can find. I want to read uh, all kinds of different theologians. Um, but I didn't have the time. So uh, so at first, I was like, I had th- maybe a three-day heads-up or something like that, and I was like, okay, here's, here's the questions. You know, Oh, I see this one, this one about the will of God. How do I know I'm making the right choice? I was like, that's the one. Started studying, I started looking into it, I was like, all right, let me study, let me read. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's not the one. <laughs> uh, and it's not because I didn't want to Because I, I, I'm like passionate about that Because I struggled with that when I uh, was younger and, and still do to this day So I was like, I want to do that But I was like, as I started studying And I said, well, there's a, there's a lot to this This needs to be like a four-part sermon series or something In three days, I don't feel good about faithfully d- diving into that So I said, let me go back, let me look Oh, here's one, so this is what I'm answering this week, and this is why it's kind of funny. What is worship, and why do we sing? It's important. Now, don't get me wrong, it's funny because I'm the worship pastor, so it's like, oh yeah, of course, but I started thinking about it, and I was like, when is the last time we've done a sermon on worshiping and why we sing? I remember that I, uh, maybe seven years ago did a sermon on why we sing, and that's about the last time I can remember. I, I think uh, Pastor Vince has talked about it some uh, throughout. So I'm excited about this. It may kind of feel like a, a default or a cop-out, but I, I'm really excited about this. Um, so this alone, though, why we worship, why do we worship, uh, or what is worship and why do we sing? This is a, It's a giant task, right? It's this alone, on its own, could be a whole sermon series. Uh, so today I'm going I'm to try to do an overview of, of some of the, the, the important keys of, of, of worship and the elements of worship, and we're going to take like a, a 10,000 mile look at worship, and then we're going to zoom in a little more and talk about what it means to worship in spirit and truth, and then we're going to zoom in a little more and we're going to talk about singing, and then we're going to zoom in even more, and we're going to talk about uh, singing as the gathered church. Now, by no means is any of this going to be exhausted, exhaustive on any of these topics. Like I said, we could, I could do a sermon on worship, spirit and truth worship, singing, gathered singing. So I just want to dive in though and, and look at these and kind of answer this question. Um, I'm going to reference a lot of verses this morning, but to start the, the verse I want to Jump out of, if you will, is John 4 uh, verses 20 to 26. So if you would go ahead and open your Bibles to John 4 verses 20 to 26. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for free and we want to give you one. Those are in the connections uh, center, which is through these doors over here. So please, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, go grab one. Grab one now, grab one after we're uh, done. Um, but we want you to have one. Everyone who wants a Bible, we want you to have one. Uh, in the meantime, the verses will be on the screen behind me. So let's go ahead and read John four, verses twenty to twenty-six. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, an hour is coming." When neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such worshipers, uh, excuse me, sorry, I lost my place. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So here's Jesus. Um, he, he has an encounter with this uh, Samaritan woman. Uh, and, and he meets her at a well. And he uncovers uh, her hidden sin. And then, he, and then she asked a question about worship. And Jesus' answer is, is perhaps one of the most vital statements ever made about worship. His answer declares points of significance about the, the transition that he was bringing about in the history of redemption through his own life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. But it also speaks about Christian worship. So out of these verses, we're going to look at uh, and focus on understanding what worship is, and understanding what Jesus means when He says to worship in spirit and truth. So, what is worship? A lot. Of, I think a lot of times this word worship it's it's become this uh like this Christianese type word, right? And worship means like, oh yeah, like, Caleb, love, that's worship, <laughs> or like singing songs to God or singing Christian songs. That's worship. Um, now, that is true, not the Caleb part, the singing song, songs to God part. Uh, that is true that that is um, a part of worship, but that's not all of worship. Uh, as human beings, we were created by God as worshiping beings, and we are constantly, we are constantly outpouring in worship to whatever it is that rules our time our energy, our thoughts, our longings, and our choices. So every person, Christian or not, worships. Worship, in a sense, is, is adoration and submission and bowing to something or someone. So part of that is singing with instruments and with voices because we are coming in and we're, we're bowing down and declaring how good and worthy God is. But one of the easiest ways to understand worship is to think about what is most important to us. Whatever that is that, whatever is most important to us, that's what we worship. Whatever holds the highest place of, of priority in our hearts, whatever it is that we value more than anything else, that's what we worship. Worship, worship is, is essentially everything you do. Worship is all of life. Worship is is what we surrender to, what we submit to, and what we bow to. So some of us worship ourselves as we are selfish and self-indulgent and seek after what is best for us and what will make us most happy and will most benefit us. Some of us worship our spouses. Some of us worship our children. Some of us worship success or money Some of us worship popularity and we bow down to people and what they want. We worship what we sacrifice for. However, as Christians, we believe that the Bible tells us that God alone is worthy of worship and that all of worship exists to give Him the honor and praise that He is due because of of who he is and what he has done for us by by sending Jesus into the world to save sinners like like you and like me. The work of the gospel of of Jesus Christ calls us to worship God alone and to repent and turn from our worship of all other things. We know that worship is not exclusively a, a song or the words of a prayer, but it's an ongoing Never-ending life of praise. That's, what's, that's what Romans 12 is talking about, right? When, it, when uh, Paul says, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what he's saying. Everything, all of you, everything you do, every part of you is worship. That's what uh, 1 Corinthians 10 is talking about when it says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, anything and everything... Do it for the glory of God or the worship of God. Worship in its truest sense, it it extends into all of life. The way we work, how we conduct ourselves in our relationships, how we handle money, how we practice generosity, everything we do is an act of worship either to God or some other false idol. So, some theologians talk about worship as this uh, communication cycle that takes place. So, it's this cycle, it consists of of God revealing himself to us uh, and and humans responding accordingly. So, God shows us and tells us what he is like through his word, by his spirit, and humans respond with, with feelings and thoughts and amazement and wonder. When we talk about worship, we're talking about our end of that cycle. It's like thinking of ourselves as as the moon, right? The moon has no light of its own, but it, it simply is reflecting the light of the sun. When we worship in all that we do, we're reflecting back to God, his worth, and to others, his value. We are reflecting the, the scope and the extent of His greatness. We are in awe of His beauty and the perfections of all His attributes and the infinite harmony of them. When we worship and glorify God in and, and all that we do, we are acknowledging the fact that He is our treasure. He's more precious, more valuable, more to be desired than anything or anyone else. True worship is valuing God above all things. The, the word worship comes from two words, worth and ship, meaning worship is showing, displaying the worth of God. We're not giving Him worth by our worship, but we are responding and showing His worth. True worship is is the acknowledgement of God and all His power and glory in everything we do. And one of the highest forms of worship is obedience to Him and His Word. A a lifestyle of of worship means that that we show our love and as a result, our worship through obedience to God. That's what Jesus is is saying when, when He says, whoever has my commands... And obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Worship is to glorify and exalt God, to show our loyalty and admiration to our perfect King. So we can ask ourselves then, who do we worship? We can ask ourselves, does Jesus really have all of our adoration and our praise and our thanks? Does he have our devotion and our obedience to his word? We could sum it up maybe like this. There is no value of Christ at all until he is valued above all. Okay, so now, again, I told you this is an overview. So now we have a a basic overview understanding of what worship is. Now, I want to talk about Jesus' huge statement here in these verses in John 4. Um, Jesus, basically in this statement, he goes and he's further defining what worship must be like. And he tells us all of worship must be in spirit and truth. So what does that mean? Jesus is saying here, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been waiting to fulfill, the one you've been waiting to tell all things. That's me. I'm here. Jesus, the the infinitely holy one who is worthy of our worship. He's our creator and our sustainer, and he is our savior. Without his loving care and guidance, without his mercy and grace and selfless sacrifice, we would have no hope. So we have, to, we have to take the time and we have to put forth the effort to worship Him how He says to worship. To worship Him in a way that, that brings honor and glory to His name. So this is important. Because Jesus is saying, I'm He. Everything, all of that you, you've been looking for, that's Me. And you should worship Me in spirit and truth. So this is important. So, Jesus says you must worship in spirit. And and this means a couple things. Uh, First, worship of God is no longer confined to a single geographical location, right? Because it it was in the Old Testament. It was confined to the temple. Jesus is like, nope, no more. Jesus is, is now here and he's saying there's no more separation between Jew and Gentile. That's no longer relevant. Jesus is saying, all of you, everyone now has access to God equally through me. So worshiping in spirit also means that we as Christians have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Paul says that, that Christians worship by the Spirit of God and, the, and glory in Christ Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who awakens in us an understanding of God's beauty and splendor and power it's the Holy Spirit who stirs us to celebrate and rejoice and give thanks. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our darkened eyes to see the radiant light of all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. Without the Spirit, we would still be blind. God's Spirit ignites and energizes our spirit. So worshiping in the Spirit means that worship Because of Jesus, has become a matter of the heart and not of external actions. Worship has to originate from the heart. It has to be sincere and and motivated by our love of God and gratitude for all he is and has done. Worship can't be mechanical and formalistic. So Jesus not only says we have to worship in spirit, he also says... We have to worship in truth. So what does that mean? Our worship must be driven by the truth of who Jesus is. Not who we think Jesus is or who we want Jesus to be, but who the scriptures have revealed him to be. Worship can't be formed by what feels good. It must be formed by the light of scripture. And what scripture says is true. Good and pleasing worship rests upon rightly understanding who God really is. Let me say that again. Good and pleasing worship rests upon rightly understanding who God really is. After all, and and here's why that's important, because after all, if, if we define truth, if we ourselves define truth and define who Jesus is, who we think he should be, who we want him to be, then it's It's our own God that we are worshiping. It's a God of our own creation we're worshiping, not the God of the Bible. So to worship in truth means to worship in line with the truth of and about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the only Savior of sinners and so much more. Scripture says that that Jesus is the very incarnation of God, that He is the embodiment of the Father's character, and that He is the fullest revelation of God's nature and plan. If we knew nothing of God, if we knew nothing of His greatness, of His holiness, of His goodness, of His gospel, we would have no reason to worship Him. If we don't believe that Jesus lived a a perfect life and then died in our place for our sins, we have no reason to worship Him. If we have no understanding of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the roles they play in our redemption, we have no reason to worship Him. You see, without a deep and growing understanding of truth, our worship will be careless and flimsy. So what Jesus is saying when he says we are to worship in spirit and in truth is that true true worshipers will worship God by his spirit from the heart and according to his truth. Let me say that again. True worshipers will worship God by his spirit from the heart and according to his truth. True worship must, must be in spirit and engaging to the whole heart. There must be real passion for God or there is no worship in spirit. And at the same time, worship must be in truth. It must be formally, it must be properly informed. If we don't have knowledge of God, there can't be worship in truth. Put another way, worship is with the head And with the heart. You see, our our mind is alive with the truth of God, and our heart is alive with affection for God. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is, is when we rightly understand God with our minds, and we rightly treasure God with our hearts. So, some Christians will prefer to worship in only spirit. They tend to think that that focusing on truth has the potential to quench the spirit and result in a a life of dry worship. They tend to to judge the success of a worship gathering in specific by the emotions and thrills and chills they experience. On the other hand, some Christians uh, will prefer to worship only in truth, and they get quite offended when when they themselves or others feel anything (laughs) Or experienced heightened emotions. They tend to think that, that the spirit and emotions will deviate from scripture and will be a chaotic mess. Now these are these are two ditches, right? And both of these Christians on either side would be in error, and in my opinion, would be in grave danger. Because Jesus says, Worship me in spirit and in truth. How can it not be dangerous? to not worship Jesus like he says. Is that worship real then? The reality is worshiping in spirit and truth leads us... uh, Worshiping... Sorry. The reality is worshiping in spirit without truth leads to a shallow, overly emotional experience. As soon as the emotion is over, worship ends. And worshiping in truth without the spirit can result in a dry and passionless encounter that can, can sometimes lead to a form of, of, of joyless legalism. So hear this, worship in, in any of its forms, right? So worship is all of life, but worship has many forms, i.e. singing, that we're going to talk about. So worship in any of its forms uh, that doesn't engage your emotions and affections is worthless. Jesus called out the religious leaders of his day for their worship. Jesus said, uh, they honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. True worship has to engage the heart, the affections. It has to engage all of our being. But, so that is true. Worship without the Spirit is worthless. At the same time, Sam Storms says, any affection or feeling or emotion stirred up by error or false doctrine is worthless. So here's, here's, here's my point. Worship without the other, spirit and truth, is worthless. Spirit and truth should inform one another, will feed off of one another, The more we know about God, the more we appreciate Him. The more we appreciate, the deeper our worship. The deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. So, now let's take a look at a specific form of worship, that being singing. Singing. Now I know I've been tiptoeing all around this and I'm going to basically step on my own toes as I'm going through this because all of this is so closely intertwined because we're talking about worship and worship in its different forms. Um, Worshiping in in spirit and truth is it not only affects all of our life worship but it affects every form that worship takes and that includes singing. So Singing as a Christian is the the musical use of the voice to express the truth of who God is from His Word and feelings that align with God's worth. God is is worshipped not only by the seeing and understanding of His glory and worth, but by it being rejoiced in and expressed through singing. There are depths and heights and intense emotions that can't be adequately expressed by thought or speech, and therefore, we sing. So why do we sing, besides what I just said? I think the most simple uh, answer to that, for us who are Christians, is because it's biblical. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing, and 50 direct commands to sing. Yes, you heard that right. 50 commands for us to sing. The Bible commands us to sing. Here's a couple examples. First 1 Chronicles 16.9 Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. First 1 Chronicles 16.23 Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 47.6 this is, this is the one. Listen to this one. The Bible commands us to sing. Listen to this verse. It's, it's almost funny. Psalm 47 6. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. <laughs> In that one verse, it literally says, Sing praises four times. It's pretty clear. So the Bible commands us to sing. Every single one of us good bad loud soft outgoing reserved doesn't matter. Every single one of us the Bible commands us to sing. I I didn't see in Psalm 47 where it said sing praises to God four times and it said except if you suck. <laughs> now, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but I did. Uh, But I also don't see where it says sing praises to God except if you're shy. Don't worry about it. It doesn't say that. Uh, Scripture is is clear that the God we worship, he delights in the sung praises of his people. We worship a a triune God who sings. We we see in, in Zephaniah... That, that God sings with joy when we go from rebels to sons and daughters by faith in Christ's atonement. So God sings. Jesus sang a hymn uh, at the end of the Last Supper in Matthew. And in Ephesians 5, uh, it tells us that one of the fruits of being filled with the Spirit is singing. So, what is the purpose of singing? Let's I want to take a look at a few of the many, 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 many reasons God calls us to worship him with singing in specific. So one of the benefits of, of singing is that it helps us remember words. I know that you know this. How many of you um, have, have easily recalled a song maybe you haven't heard in years? You haven't heard it in years. All of a sudden it comes on and you're like, yep, I know all the words, or at least the chorus. Or, or even um, like a commercial jingle, right? How many of you have had a commercial jingle stuck in your head, the melody and the words, and you're like, why? What? The, the reality is that, that we as humans, we remember patterns and music much better than patterns and words alone. That's why I feel good as the worship pastor not the preaching pastor. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but it's true. It's, it's how we're built. We remember melody and words better than words alone. Um, but I, I, I don't want to belabor this point because we kind of already touched on this when we talked about the fact that Jesus uh, tells us to worship him in truth. But I do want to say when we sing as part of our worship, we must worship in truth, right? So what does that mean? That that means that that the words we sing matter greatly. Not, not only because we have to worship in truth, but because singing we remember things even better. We must sing the words that God wants us to remember. It doesn't only matter that we sing, but what We sing. When we sing songs that are are saturated uh, with the scripture and the gospel, we can stand on the promise that God's word does not return to him void. And I think I think that many of us have experienced this, right? How often has your faith in Christ been strengthened and your appreciation for the gospel deepened and your love of of God heightened as you sing scripture-infused, gospel-centered songs? Singing also helps us take the truth of God's word and connect to it emotionally. Singing should be an emotional event and there should be religious affections. Now I know the word emotions, many of us are like, what? Emotions? Me specifically. Not so much in worship, but in life. I may or may have not been accused of many times being a robot. The Lord is working on me. No, emotions are good. Why? Because God, he created us, and he created us with emotions. So, when we have emotions, our emotions, when they're guided by the truth of God's word, those emotions, those are the right emotions, John Piper says this, The engagement of the heart in worship is the coming alive of the feelings and emotions and affections of the heart. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. Now, we won't always be moved in the same way or to the same effect when we sing, but but when emotions aren't there, we should repent and cry out for mercy to feel them correctly again. You see, God is worthy of our our highest, our purest and strongest emotions. And singing helps us express and unite them. These emotions that that bubble up when we sing praises to to God, we don't have to conjure them up. We don't have to fake them. And, And in fact, I would actually beg you, don't fake them. The reality is though that, that sometimes it's hard to joyfully sing. We all struggle with sin and we, we all experience trials and suffer to differing degrees. Life is hard. But know this, singing songs that are infused with the truth of God don't, don't push us, it doesn't push us into deeper despair in our suffering But it it sustains us in faith through suffering. I'm sure many of you know the song, It Is Well, or have at least heard it. Um, And this is a great example of what I'm saying. That singing songs in our suffering doesn't push us deeper into despair. But it sustains us by faith through despair. So the song... It is well, uh, was written by Horatio Spafford. And it was written after the loss of four of his daughters at sea due to a shipwreck. So out of this great tragedy, he wrote this song as a response to faith. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Paul and and Silas, when they were arrested for Christ's sake, they sang. They were singing not only because it was a great witness, but they were singing to God because they needed to experience the nearness and the goodness and the greatness of God. God was their sustainer and they experienced it. In singing. Truths like like God made us, we are His people, Jesus died for our sins, we are loved and valued, and He is with us always. These truths are all true regardless of our circumstances. Because our, our deepest joy is rooted in the gospel and the truths of Scripture, our singing to God isn't rooted in our circumstances. You see, when we sing these songs, we are reassured of God's goodness. Though we may have been downcast, we are reassured that joy comes in the morning. The beauty of Christ is the cause for our songs. His glory draws worship from our hearts to our lips. So singing can also be a means of waging war against sin. Our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are always looking to be satisfied by things other than Jesus. Our hearts are insatiable and are always craving that which is not true, craving something new, craving something different, something more. And and Thomas Minton, a Puritan pastor and theologian, he connects sin and singing in his sermon on Ephesians 5:19. So let me read you Ephesians 5 uh, 18 and 19. It says this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart. So Ephesians. Ephesians is is giving you the sin, do not get drunk, and is contrasting that sin with be filled with the Spirit by singing to the Lord. Paul in Ephesians is is saying, do you want to fight sin and chase it off? Then you should welcome singing as a weapon. Replace one with the other. Replace sin with singing. Replace temptation with With singing. In the midst of temptation, singing can fix our gaze upon the preciousness of eternal glories. When temptation catches our eye and and when we need a greater treasure to captivate our hearts, in order to redirect our heart's attention, we must tap into the great power that is singing. Singing. Singing, it it matches the delight we know we should have in God and it awakens the desires within us. Manton, uh, in his sermon, says that singing done correctly is how we keep up a holy delight in God. He says, singing is the vent of our joy. So singing gives vent to the affections of the heart and like billows, the venting... Of affections leads to greater and greater affections. And stoking greater affections in the heart is our central warfare against the threats of lust and unbelief. Do you, do you get that? Do you get what I'm saying there? Stoking greater affections in, in the heart. So having more, greater and greater affections in our heart for the Lord and all that He's done and all that He is. That is our central warfare against stubborn, sinful habits. We we know through science um, that singing, true engaged singing, in in this case, I'm not saying Christian only, I'm saying singing, truly engaging in singing. We know by science that it releases oxytocin in the body. And what is oxytocin? Oxytocin is a a hormone that helps alleviate anxiety and stress while at the same time, it boosts our immune system and our mood. And and some even say serve uh, in the fight against cancer. Seems like God knows what he was doing when he commanded us to sing. But here's my point. Even more important than that is that singing releases true affection for our Lord and it tears apart the disease of our most stubborn sinful habits. Think about this in in reality. Imagine you are being tempted to sin in any form. Go ahead. Think about those sins that you are are most um, often tempted by, are most prone to. Think about those. Now, in the face of that temptation... What if you started singing? I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That, that sin is going to start looking real dumb. That sin is going to start looking real small. And pointless in comparison to the truth of those lyrics. Those lyrics will start to reignite the Christ-centered affections of the soul. I have a quote now to distract us from the awkwardness of me singing. So Charles Spurgeon, he says this. The song of our solitude should be full of living joy. And yet, I am afraid there is very little private singing nowadays. We often hear talk concerning private prayer, but very seldom of private praise. And yet, ought there not to be as much private praise as private prayer? I take it from how seldom we talk about it, private thanksgiving has grown to be a sleepy affair. So then the question is for us, have we neglected the weapon of private worship? Have we neglected the weapon of singing? Have we let this weapon against some of our most strong sin struggles rust and dull? Everything we've talked about so far uh, with singing can be done by yourself or uh, some of it as the gathered church. And actually, a great benefit will come when you sing praises to God. But now let's take a look specifically at um, why it is that we gather as the church and sing. Again, like I said before, about singing as worship in general, there are many, 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 many reasons why we gather as the church to sing, and there's many benefits to that. But as I start to wrap up, Uh, I want to quickly talk about two of those. So when we gather as the church to worship God with singing, as the Bible commands us to, it demonstrates and expresses our unity. As we gather and sing to Jesus, it enables us to uh, spend extended times uh, of of worship expressing the same thoughts and desires and passions We are all united as one body, as God's children, as brothers and sisters, and we're all singing the same praise to our perfect Father. It's not the the style of music that unites us, but it's the gospel that unites us. God doesn't hear us based on how good or bad we sound together. Thank you, Lord. Uh, He hears our praises because Jesus has made it possible. Far better than the the sweet harmonies of a few trained or talented singers is the rough and booming sound of pardoned criminals delighting with one voice in their Savior. When we sing together, we make known audibly the unity we have through Christ. We are encouraging each other by the strength of our voices. We are encouraging each other that we are not alone. We know that brothers and sisters around us share the same new heart, the same new identity. Share in comfort and support. Share in my trials and my weeping and my hope and ambitions and my joys. Those around us singing share in the praise of Jesus as our only Savior. Share in the great joy of knowing and experiencing his great love and mercy and grace. As we sing together as one unified body. We know that I am with them, they are with me, and we are with Jesus. Lastly, we gather to sing together as the church because it's eternal. Singing is a pattern and model of of what is to come. Whatever we experience here in the the terms of, of the active presence of God... It's just a glimmer, a small glimmer of what is to come. If singing can do all that we've talked about today and so much more, imagine what it will be like when we are no longer looking in a mirror dimly lit and seeing in part, but we are seeing Jesus face to face in the full radiance of his glory. What will that singing be like? What will it be like to have known Him in part and then know Him fully? How will the song of the redeemed not be deafening in light of all that Jesus is? Our thoughts and our passions in eternity will be focused and we will have the strength to give Jesus the glory He deserves. Singing is going to be a part of of what we do for eternity. And part of our singing here on earth is anticipation of what is to come. When we sing here as the gathered church, we sing in light of the song that we will one day sing in His presence. I think, and this is not in my notes, um, I, th- I think part of what's happening too is when we sing with eternity in mind, when we sing... Uh, in- in mind that we are going to, to sing for eternity, I think what that does also is it fixes our minds on things eternal and not things here and now. Because I think as American Christians specifically, I think we have a tendency to to be more focused on the here and now. Because we we have so many luxuries, because we... Uh, can afford so many things. And, and I'm not saying that we're all super wealthy, but in relation to the entire world, we're rich. And I think what happens is is we are in, in, inundated with, you deserve this, with this commercial, with consumerism, right? I'll, I'll never forget when I went to Mexico on a mission trip, it was wild to me how much everyone talked about Eternity. I, they, they talked about like, I, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for that day. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't do that enough. I don't think we do that enough. But, but when, when you are surrounded by comfort, right, it's hard to look forward to eternity. It's our lens of eternity becomes clouded because we're so comfortable and happy here, now. So I think that's another part of what, what singing does together as the church. It reminds us of eternity. We see in, in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, that worship, the worship of, of heaven is Christ-centered, and heaven will be filled with songs that glorify the Lamb that was slain. It says this, Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying... Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, when we sing here as the church gathered, really, it's just practice for that day. It's forward-looking now, remember, as, as we talked earlier about singing sustaining us in our suffering, I'm going to end with a quote from John Piper about the song that we will one day sing from Revelation that we just read. He says this, Suffering will stop, but singing will not. But suffering will not be forgotten. Because we will sing about it for all eternity. Not ours, but Christ's. Singing will remain rooted in suffering forever. The greatest song will always be the song born of suffering. We will never forget the price Jesus paid so that forgiven sinners could sing with everlasting joy. Let's pray. Jesus Thank you for paying the price that we never could have. Thank you that you lived the perfect life that we should have but never could. And then you died in our place for our sins. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, because of your great sacrifice, we can sing with everlasting joy. Lord, you are worthy. Help us to worship you alone, to adore you alone, to surrender and submit and bow to you alone. Help us. Help us to worship you in all that we do. God, help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Help our minds to be alive with your truth and our hearts to be alive with affection and passion for you. Lord, help us to, to sing And to obey your commands to sing. Help us to to sing as you sustain us through suffering and loss. May we sing as we battle and put our sin to death. And God, I pray that that we would not neglect or take for granted singing together as your gathered people. We love you, Lord. Lord.